Thanks for joining us now on KVCR for KVC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. On this edition of the program, we'll hear once again from Johnny Hickman of Cracker. In early November, when Cracker was getting ready to wrap up their 2023 tour, just about 10 miles from where I'm sitting, I happily grabbed a chance for an interview, even though there wasn't room in a KVC Arts prior to their performance, and I'd be grabbing just a snippet of the conversation to be used as a feature during Morning Edition and All Things Considered to promote the appearance. We still spoke for just under an hour. That means that the show on New Year's Eve, as well as this edition of the program, is Cracker, their breakout hit Teen Angst, a couple of Led Zeppelin songs for a compilation disc, and Johnny's solo release Palmenge, and of course, this region. I think I'll have a yard sale to lose half of all I own. Move up to Northern California. Disillusion, move back home is just something that I like to think about when I'm drinking and I'm swimming in the midst of doubt. Look out over the valley where the mighty tractor pounds, orange trees, families, they go spinning to the ground. That's really kind of where the band started. If you look at the friendship with Johnny's bands and David's bands going back into our teens, and then we finally joined forces. But as we joined forces, we moved across the country to Richmond, Virginia. But, you know, Redland, San Bernardino, the Inland Empire is still our base. It's still where all things were launched from. So we've always considered it our home. Speaking of past bands, I won't admit straight out, I'll tell you if you ask it because it's funny, but I won't admit straight out where this came from, but I'll just say I'm getting a vibe, a phrase, I know about you dangers, it's just your basic revolving door. Does that statement speak to you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Facebook with Chris Leroy. Right. That's where that came from. Okay, right. That band called The Dangers, and we never got a record deal, although we should have. We had tons of original songs and a fan base that included David Lowry and Victor Krumenacher, who later formed Gamper Van Beethoven. And we opened up for everyone from Josie Cotton to bands like 2020, a lot of big late 70s, early 80s bands. The Dangers were a force to be reckoned with, and we played at the barn. We sold the barn out almost every Saturday for months. Oh, cool. You know, the on-campus nightclub. And yeah, Chris Leroy and I, we were kind of a songwriting force, and we did, at least locally, very well. And then, you know, everybody just kind of stayed with their day jobs and their other careers and things. And I eventually started a band with other friends called The Unforgiven. We did that for a while. Yeah, there are a lot of bands, a band called Sitting Duck that David had, Mm -hmm. based around San Bernardino. David and I had a band, a very loose group of people called the Estonian Gauchos, (laughs) where... It was a band where we switched instruments a lot. So I was the drummer on a couple of songs. And oh, wow. It was the first song where David switched from bass to guitar. And the other bands like Box of Laughs. But the Dangers were a figure very huge in the history of Cracker. Absolutely. It's where we all became friends and we've all stayed friends over the years. These are all Inland Empire bands yeah. and still going strong. The Dangers are still playing and putting out records. Yes, they are. And occasionally we all get together, and the Dangers have played the camp out, yes. um, which we did our 15th and final camp out in 2015. And then we still do the camp in, which is in Athens, Georgia, at the 40 Watt Club. 
the world famous 40 watt. But yeah, the dangers. Yeah, the revolving door of drummers. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> a lot of people in and out of the dangers too over the years. Kind of set the blueprint for Cracker, maybe. Well, I have to say that Chris gave me that phrase about the revolving door, but I had no idea of the background of the phrase. I just knew that I could throw it out there and hopefully get something that would connect <laughs> to you. So You'd get a laugh, absolutely. Yeah. And there was one particular drummer. We were, you know, trading him out for another drummer. And Chris and I have always kind of operated that way. We pulled different people in and out of the band. and You know, it made for a more interesting band. And there was one particular drummer who knew he was on the way out. And he got pretty pissed off. It's a regular revolving door. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, the dangers continued, and you know, with our new drummer at the time. And okay. That's the way it goes. Way cool. Thank Jesus for the beaches, lest we take too much for granted. Down here in Southern Cal, down in Southern Cal, down in Southern Cal. Let's go back to Tina Angst for a bit, What the World Needs Now. This was, as you mentioned, this was the breakout song for Cracker and went right up to number one, if I'm not mistaken. It uh, this sure one. And despite being 40 years removed from my teenage years, I still want to scream this one loudly. It's, and I don't want to say catchy because this makes me think of something more <laughs> bubblegum pop. Let's say it has right. that, that it drive. Is. It's a great David Lowry song that's introduced with my big riff. And I, I yeah. try to... You know, I don't consciously do it, but I tend to write, you know, very simple guitar riffs that I hope get stuck in people's heads. And I think I got it with that one. In right place, right time, boom. I mean, yeah, it worked. Oh, totally. And the song, you know, is one of many songs on that first record, but it just jumped right out. Got airplay on college radio and on some mainstream radio. And it went to number one, and it blew us away. Yeah, that really got our foot in the door was Teen Ags much even more so than low in a way because teen angst nobody knew who we were before that and it opened the door for us for kerosene hat a year later so there you go and with teen angst you weren't required to write a letter to the radio station saying no this is not about drugs right which it had to do with low but oh something else uh, the video for this for teen angst it looks like it could have easily been shot in the cow pasture next door just down the road between your house and what we would say, where Ed Miller's barn used to be. You know, that's how we would give directions back right, home in Kentucky. Right. Was it truly that cold, or were you guys just playing it up for the video? 
It was a little chilly out. It was a fall day, I believe, in outskirts of Richmond, Virginia, out in the country, at Mark Linkus's farm that he was kind of the caretaker of. Okay. Yeah, so it's, we actually had a farm, and there were motorcycles and dogs, and, you know, we're just running around going crazy out at the farm there. Just having fun, as you can see in the video. We're just, you know, just having a blast, you know. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it really, literally and figuratively took me back home. I wonder, uh, lyrically, and, and I know, I guess you're more of the music and David is more of the lyrics, but if you could address this, was this song developed as something that sounded at first, you know, let's say kind of folky, or was it really a celebration of feeling like there is really just so much of that? Not folk singers per se, but rather what you might find in folk songs. You know, a celebration of or a reaction to, I guess that's how we strip this one down. Yeah, it was an interesting time because around that time, there were certain singer-songwriter, acoustic guitar players kind of, you know, kicking the, finding their way in very early 90s, late 80s. And we didn't really have a problem with that other than, you know, David taking a pot shot at it. It'd be in a very humorous (laughs) way. You know, what the world needs now is another folk singer. Like, I need a hole in the head. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, and it's poking fun at it. And it got people's attention. What have you got against folk singers? But then when you listen to the song, by the time he gets to the third verse, you realize he's just trying to get this girl in bed, you know? Yes, yes. He's just letting his frustrations be taken out in other directions, if you will. But when he first was cooking up the song, we were sitting at his parents' house in Redlands, and he was kind of picking it. It was sort of like a rolling picking thing that he was doing. Oh. And he was telling the story. And at one point, he turned to me and he said, Johnny, what else does the world need? And I said, a V8 engine? That, ah. that was my lyrical contribution. I don't know, a V8 engine. And so he threw that in. And it was funny. The drive would find a place to be surly. Perfect yes. Lowry. Oh, God, it was so good. You know, and it's still sort of floated around in different incarnations. And then at some point, we were cutting demos of it. And the riff I'm playing there made its way in. The song came first with that one. And then I kind of put the riff in and around it. I think David said, I think it needs one of your big bonehead guitar riffs, you know. <laughs> so I messed around with it. And at first I was playing that riff on Bottleneck Slide. Ah. And then I tossed the slide away and just, bow, 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 you know, made a big, yeah. a big bonehead guitar riff, you know. That could have been, you know, like an ACDC riff, you know. It's just really simple and streamlined, but very aggressive. Very in your face, and yeah, it's catchy. The best riffs are, you know, the riffs to any number of Stone songs. Keith Richards is the master of that. Oh God, the guitar yeah. riff that the riff catches you, and then the singer tells the story. And you know, it's kind of a tried and true rock formula, and certainly so with Cracker. I mean, Low, Teen Angst, Euro Trash Girl, a little bit, but so many of our mm-hmm. songs start with a riff. And Lonesome Johnny Blues is kind of a signature song for us, and it starts with a little nitpicking 
kind of a hillbilly riff that I wrote up in Bakersfield, and then I tell the story. And that's just sort of one of the formulas we use. It's not the only one we use, but yeah. Right. So David simplified it once in an interview. I remember it was just kind of hilarious. He said, "Yeah, Johnny makes a big racket, and I talk some shit, and I talk shit, and Johnny makes the racket again, and I talk more shit, and then we do them at the same time. Song over." <laughs> And it's, it, it's a simplification, but it's kind of the way a lot of our songs work. You know, the riff maybe grabs your ear and pulls you in, like a Stone song or, you know, or a Kink song. And, yeah. and then David tells his story, and he happens to be a very good storyteller with a very uh, unique sense of humor, which his sense of humor derives from the fact, I think some of at least, the fact that his dad was from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and his mom was British. So mm-hmm. in the summers, he'd go work with his granddad over in England. Oh. And he certainly, he just, over the years, developed a certain sort of unique sense of humor that absolutely found its way into our songs. I mean, the combination of Southern U.S. and British humor all through our songs. I mean, we have a song called, How Can I Live Without You? Yeah. I, I Gotta Get a Job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The perfect setup. Very Southern, very almost like a country song title in a sort of a silly, glib way. You know, people talk about the country side of Cracker, and it's certainly yeah. there. But we wrote, our country-flavored songs are sort of written the way our British heroes, the British Invasion, wrote country songs. Like, when you're down on your luck, you know, the way the Stones would write a country song. Mm-hmm. Definitely poking fun at country music, but at the same time, obviously very passionate about it as well. Oh, nice way uh, And that's kind of where we come from. Yeah, we're poking fun at it a little bit, but songs that I've written, like Mr. Wrong or the song Friends, for instance, kind of has a country feel to it, but it's kind of poking fun at that and poking fun at ourselves at the same time. There's sort of a self-effacing sense of humor in the way that we make our music, you know. Oh, way cool. Nice. Oh, that's such a great way of saying that. Wow. One more thing on Cracker before going on to a few of your things. You guys contributed Good Times, Bad Times to a tribute to Led Zeppelin album. And I understand that, though, initially the band had recorded When the Levee Breaks, but it was deemed, quote, too weird. So, one, can this be found anywhere? And two, what was, quote, too weird about it? I'm not really sure. I played some really crazy harmonica on it, which is just one of the things I do. Okay. But I don't know how they did, but somebody broke into a studio somewhere and got it. And it's sort of out there floating in the netherworld of the crumbs. I've sort of found it and gotten leaked it out there somewhere. But yeah, the Zeppelin camp and their record company said, yeah, give us a couple. So we went back to the drawing board. We were on the road and we went into a studio up in San Francisco and got good times, bad times. And we did it really quickly and just banged it out. And they really liked it. So yeah, it was a win-win, you know. Okay. And yeah, we gave them two good tracks. So I think we were in good speed with Page and Plant, you know, and they, they gave it the thumbs up. And I heard a rumor, Mr. Plant said, that sounds like he kicked on every guitar pedal he has. <laughs> and Page said, yeah, sounds like he did. I like it. <laughs> 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 it's just a 
this, the guitar sound I have, and it's kind of wild and kind of insane and kind of messy, but I think they got a kick out of it. Wow. Yeah, and it turned out fantastic. And I have a gold, I'm looking at my gold record on my wall, which was very nice of the Zeppelin camp to make all the musicians involved in making the celebration of Led Zeppelin by yeah. other bands. And I think, who was it, with Stone Temple Pilots and a couple other bands of the era mm -hmm. were on there. And it did well. I mean, the record went gold. I think it eventually went platinum with other bands doing Zepp songs. I mean, you can't really be in a hard rock band from our era and not admit to some Zeppelin influence, you know? Oh, right. Oh, totally. So win-win. Yeah. Uh, on my wall... I'm lucky I've got my gold kerosene hat record and my gold cracker brand record. And above that is the Inconium gold record for the Zeppelin song. Yeah, I'm very, very proud of that. Yeah. did a good job on it. In good company, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, just to have those words. I plant what you said about him. Yeah, it could have sounded like a complaint. But then Paige saying, yeah, it does sound like that. I like it. And so that's just the perfect <laughs> little tag there. So. That, was, that was the rumor, anyway, from the engineer's. <laughs> You're listening to KVC Arts on KVCR. I'm David Fleming. On this edition of the program, I'm speaking with Johnny Hickman of Cracker. We've been hearing about Cracker and Cracker material, and now some of Hickman's solo works. Well, someone shot the president on the night that I was born. I wasn't born to poverty or wealth I was just a one in a million babies All soon to be told Keep their opinions to themselves I really wasn't all that small But they called me Little Tom And they sent me to a school far away I don't really get it And I may never know Said at the time there was no other way, no other way. One of your albums now, Palm Henge, and I want to first ask about where the name comes from, but I'd like to, if I could, first say that what I think of, and it's this wonderful moment in Spinal Tap where they're expecting a Stonehenge replica that's 18 feet tall to come lowered from the ceiling. They get something 18 inches tall, which was, a, they said, in danger of being crushed by a couple of dwarves. So right. <laughs> that's my input. So where did the name Palm Henge come from? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Spinal Tap. And oh, yeah. yeah. A little bit of that. But where the name actually came from, my older son, who's now an electronica artist and producer. Oh, cool. Who goes by Citizen Star Crusher. But my older son, Hans Van Hickman, is his name. But Hans, at the time, when he was a teenager, he and I used to go camping out in the Mojave. You know, he'd get away from school, and I'd get away from touring, and, hey, let's go camp. And it was our way to get away and kind of rebond as father and son. Mm -hmm. And on the way out, there's a place that we used to like to camp out near Blythe, like way out in the middle of nowhere. Okay. The Arlington Mines, which way, way out in the middle of nowhere. And there's another set of mines. We would just take my truck and just go out there and camp out. But on the way there, off the 10 highway, mm -hmm. there, I believe somebody eventually told me it was an old school grounds. But there's a circle of dead palm trees 
Hmm. You know, they'd been there forever and they'd long since died, but the trunks of the trees were in a giant circle and pointing straight up at the sky. And Hans and I had seen it a couple of times. It's off the highway, but you can see the circle of dead palm trees over there. And Hans looked over to me in my truck and he said, yeah, it's like Stonehenge, but it's Palmhenge. Ah. It's a palm tree. That's, so my son Hans gave you the name for the record. Boom, that was it, Palmhenge, you bet. Oh, and sweet. And the, the artwork on the record, there's a photo of it that's been manipulated and screwed with. But yeah, Palmhenge, that's where it came from. And Palmhenge and Robert Criscow, the world-renowned rock critic reviewer, gave it Voices Choice in Village Voice the month that Palmhenge came out. Okay. It got a lot of really good reviews. The first solo record out of one of the Cracker guys, you know, we've since done several, both David and I. Yeah. But when Palmhenge came out, it got noticed, especially by Robert Criscow, who's written Criscow's record guide. I mean, he's a very well-known guy. Nice. He's kind of the dean of rock critics, as the other writers call him. Oh, cool. But he uh, really liked the record, and he was the first person that got that it was sort of my farewell to California as I was moving to Colorado, but a fond and loving record. And the record, Palmhenge, a lot of the songs touch on the Inland Empire, the you know, San Bernardino boy. It's yeah. a very California record. And Chris Gow got that immediately. You know, everything from the song in there called Southern Cal. Yes, you know, the yard sale. Uh, Dino, boy. Yeah, and it's just the whole record is sort of filled with the Inland Empire, basically. It's of that geography. The whole record is it's a little bit of a concept record about California. And in the opening little track, I see, you know, the surf is up, but the chips are down yes. on the dark side of my room. Yeah. You know, <laughs> little tip to the Beach Boys and various... California, the legendary musicians and songwriters and so forth. So, oh, yeah, God, yeah. You know, and there you go. One other reason I made Palm Hedge at the time is because after they split up for 10 years, the Camper Van Beethoven kind of made peace and decided to get together and start working on a new record. In between Cracker Records, David decided, yeah, I'm going to do another Camper record. Oh, fantastic. And it's a great record, New Roman Times, you know, and it's a fantastic Camper Van Beethoven sort of reunion record mm. with his old bandmates. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Well, I guess I'll make my own record. So mm. off I went. And yeah, the timing was perfect. The Camper record came out and did well. Palmage came out and did well. And so we sort of toured, you know, on the strength of those things and on whatever, all the Cracker records that have done well up to that point. It was a very creative environment all across the board for all of us at the time. And Camper Van Beethoven ended up doing a lot of touring, opening for Cracker. So here's David doing double duty every yeah. night. In Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker, Victor Krumenacher, who played bass for Camper Van Beethoven, there were times when he played bass in Cracker. A lot of cross-pollination between the two bands. Really good, just really fertile time for all of us. And I was pretty timid about putting out a solo record. You know, I remember David at times saying, yeah, don't worry, I mean, if it doesn't go through the roof, don't worry about it. And it did. It didn't go through the roof, but it got attention. It got great reviews. So I was like, wow, okay. Whew. All right, got over my, my fear block of that. Yeah. And since then, I, you know, every couple of years, I'll put out another solo record, as David will, too. David has a series of sort of autobiographical yes. stories that he's doing now. And they're fantastic. And they basically tell the story, well, his story, mm. in and around his bands and, and various other things. You know, it's just like pages out of his diary. Here on the edge of the continent Horizontal gravity Draws destitute and dreamers 
the trust fund bourgeoisie between the silence and Andreas threat and the gray green smoggy gloom surf is up but the chips are down on the dark side of surf is up but the chips are down on the dark side of my Oh, you know what? Okay, you mentioned the opening track to Palmhenge, Pre-Requiem. And I'm yeah. <laughs> really not so much, you would expect a person to go right into lyrics, but again, I'm from Western Kentucky, so the sound effects opening the track. These opening sounds are very much a soundtrack to more mornings than I can count, say 15 miles yeah. from the nearest town of 23,000 people, crows okay. cawing, a kid somewhere in the distance, a tiny bit of traffic on that two-lane highway a mile or two away. Yep. So was this actually recorded from your front door or maybe your back porch? All over and from the park. You could hear some ravens flying yeah. in there because that's part of my reality. You know, I just walked around and got some source sounds. Okay. And I was at the park and there were kids playing. Nah, 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 nah. You hear one kid kind of teasing another kid. Yeah. Yeah, there's some engines. One of my neighbors had race cars and he was kind of revving things up. That's so that's that going was. on. Yeah. And then I played some kind of surfy like guitar in there to kind of fit with the pattern of California and the surf is up and the chips are down. Yeah, yeah I'm glad you like that montage. Oh my God, uh, yeah. And I'm actually playing because it was just a unique thing to do once in a while. I play a saw. Cool. An old violin bow, and you hear that in there, too. There's a little bit of a saw in there. The saw is a musical instrument. Okay, is, that's uh, the sound that I couldn't identify. I know what, exactly what yeah, you're talking a, about. Yeah, that's that Appalachian thing. It's a hillbilly instrument, you know? Yeah. I think back in the day, hillbilly musicians in the last century, in the turn of the century, they put together kind of a jug band. Yeah. And the bass would be a string off of a wash tub. Yeah. You know, wash tub bass. Uh, broomstick. And they were yeah. improvising. Sure, and then other improvised instruments would be, you know, they're just clanging on something or making shakers. Maybe somebody's got a banjo. Maybe somebody has an actual fiddle. But in with all that other stuff would be things like somebody blowing in a jug. And it actually was a jug. Yeah. You know, the various sounds you can get from that. And so, you know, occasionally there was a saw. And I remember as a kid seeing saw players on television once. more like, wow. They would either hit it with softly with a mallet and sort of bend it and get a tone. Almost sounds like a theremin. Mm-hmm. And other saw mm-hmm. players would play it with a bow, like it was a string instrument, and get sort of a tone out of it that way. And I thought, wow, that's cool. So I just messed with it. And so you hear a saw on there. I'm out in my little studio behind my house in my little building that I built behind the house. And I'm sawing. I borrowed a cello's bow mm-hmm. from a neighbor's kid. Can I just borrow this? I promise I won't wreck it. Mm-hmm. And I bowed a saw in there, and you hear that sound in there, too. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> kind of a montage. Oh, sweet. Yeah. God bless you. God bless me. But God help the children of this century. Thanks to Johnny Hickman of Cracker, the sole focus once again of this edition of KVC Arts. Here at KVC Arts, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, Tony Garcia, and Sharina Watt. 
Find many past KVC Arts programs via podcast through iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, and Google Play. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts, including the rest of the conversation with Johnny Hickman. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support.